Grifters, welcome back to the Leverage 10 podcast, Inside the Writer's Room Edition. I'm your host, Kayla Dobson, and as usual, I'm joined by John Rogers and Chris Downey, executive producers and co-creators of Leverage. And this week, we have a very special guest, Miss Becky Kirsch, story editor. Say hello, Becky. Hello. Formerly, for those of you who have been reading the blog since the very first days, Becky was formerly filthy assistant, and then scrappy staff writer, and now she is a story editor. Plucky, plucky story plucky, editor? Plucky, Do you go to plucky? plucky? I think plucky. Scrappy. I know what the... Uh, I don't know what the adjective is at story editor. She's but. I appreciate the She model. is the only person who's been on the show as long as we have. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Thousand yards stare to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so shell shocked, so traumatized. Well, on this episode, we're discussing from pitch to picture, so our writers can tell us all about what it's like to turn an idea into an episode of TV. So, starting off with our first question What is the process of turning a story idea into a pitch? Uh, it depends what you say with story idea. Usually, Writers come in uh, anywhere from, I read this cool article and I think this is a cool field or crime or, or uh, a cool villain, a bad guy, all the way to, for example, Kirsch tends to come in uh, with very heavily researched stuff and having already sort of an idea of where she wants the story to go to. Uh, it, it very much varies from writer to writer. And, uh, and you know, we try, to, we try to not even get too far in the opening pitch because we want the story to grow organically and make sure we don't get locked into something that maybe doesn't work too early. Uh, so what happens is you bring the uh, well you describe it you've done it yeah I mean sometimes there'll be a story that you you know something you read and it just screams oh this is an Elliot story or this is you know something about this cries out Sophie and so something sometimes you will take a story and mold it towards a specific character other times it'll just come in and say this is a crime that our that our heroes need to conquer this is something that is perfect for them there'd be so many different kind of angles on it and based off of that the room kind of takes it and runs with it mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean a good example would be the funeral one right from last year you came in with a lot of research on scams involving funeral homes and there were a lot of different you know directions you could go I remember there was some different incarnations of that we had a few incarnations we yeah but I mean they all kind of you know ultimately centered around a uh, funeral and a burial and mm-hmm. you know so it think things evolve from when the when the first idea is floated to when it ultimately becomes a story yeah then after uh all the ideas have sort of been congregated and aggregated and you start to get a sense in the room of how the story should be told. Uh, we try to at least get a rough sort of this, then that idea cards up on the board, mm-hmm. at which point the writer goes and takes and does a two-pager, which is just a quick summary of how the acts break out. The two-pager is approved, then we do the outline. We usually run the outline past the room one last time on white cards just to make sure nobody sees a giant logic flaw that everybody missed or anybody has like one last great idea and then it uh, goes off to the writer. Yeah, the more set of eyes you can get on it, the better I think in our room just because sometimes someone will have a different perspective. Oh, do you, you know, you could do it this way or oh, do you not notice this enormous, you know, gaping flaw that the rest of us haven't seen. So the more the better. Yeah. Everyone's got blind spots. Kind of following up on that, I really want to hear from Becky on this one. So you've got the pitch. How do you prepare to pitch to the room? Is it really nerve-wracking? Well, I bet someone with a background like John would have a different angle because you're more in the you, you have a more of a background in performance, whereas I would rather kill myself than be in front of anybody <laughs> at any time. And so, therefore, I think that different people come from different angles. So, I, when I prepare to pitch something, I will literally be in my apartment. I will close the door. I will use a tape recorder and I will practice it over and over and over again, which is, I think probably what I was taught in film school, like the very traditional way of just stand in front of a mirror and practice it a few times until you don't sound like an idiot anymore. Sometimes I'll get a few friends over and say, hey, what do you think of this? Hey, you know, I usually write everything down first just to make sure that I've got it. I've got notes in front of me, but 
I bet that, I mean, does anyone have other well, tricks? Well, it's called, it's called the pitch for a reason. You're selling something. Exactly. Yeah. So you need to, you know, you have to take your creative writer hat off. And this is for any of you writers out there uh, listening. And put your salesman hat on. And you are trying to convince the room to buy this. Now, mm -hmm. you know, we do that by making it sure that it's a quality product. But you also want to make sure you're conveying it well. That you're, you know, showing your passion for it. All these things go into putting together a pitch, and it's kind of like I've been taking, I've been taking golf lessons, and I've really found a, a, a useful metaphor, especially when you're pitching something in the room. The way you hold a golf club is you you hold it loosely, like you're yes. holding a woman's hand. <laughs> when you want to pitch something, you don't want to be clenched right. to no. it because no, you're like, unable. It's like a, it's like a sword. You want to hold it like it's a bird in your hand. You don't want to crush, but you, you don't do want, want it to escape it. either. You want it, oh, no, you want it to be. Yes. You want it to be so loose that you're able to make adjustments and make it very smooth. Well, you've also, you've also. Or you're a first murderer of a, van a vagrant. Like you're, you want to make sure you're, you're, you don't leave fingerprints, but you're not at the same time. They don't wake up. You're not supposed to talk. Oh yes, of course. Yes. That's for the next podcast. That's for the next podcast. That's for that's for do yourself a favor. Yeah. <laughs> do yourself a favor. Little hits from John Rogers every podcast. Here's the thing about your first kill. Um, you know, I, I tell you what, everyone goes about it differently, and you know, I come from stand up. Chris comes from pitching comedy room. Kirsch comes from the the unfortunate pitch child of both of us. Um, but. You know, I tend to come at it from why do I want to tell the story? What made me excited about telling the story? And will the rest of the room get excited about telling the story? And, and really, if you get that much, then you have a bunch of really great brains that are there to make it work. Uh, but without that core, it's just it's just a bunch of stuff that happens. Yeah. And Chris, you've also advised me in the past when you're when you're pitching it out, when you're writing the two pager, act as though you're just telling your mom what the story yes. is. You know, yeah, and with that right. same kind of relaxation with that same kind of fluidity I think that that's something that's always yeah, and really helped me a lot assume they don't know anything yeah and yeah. just work from there well kind of following up on that are there specific differences between a showrunner pitch and a staff writer pitch ours are half-assed ours, <laughs> ours are magnificently half-assed ah I think I'm doing a thing anyway curious um, <laughs> give me your eight pages of research on this idea that yes. we will cruelly crush um, yeah yes absolutely I mean uh, the the showrunners also tend to take different episodes. Uh, I write the season opener every year, and so a lot of times, and the season finale, or, or at least one half of the season finale, so and the one in the middle. But those two tend to be very chaotic, and so it's like, here's a notion. This is what we're gonna do. We've got to wait till we've nailed down locations, places, times. Yeah, and you have a lot of thing. things you always have to set up, and yeah, in there, right. yeah, particularly when you change cities and all the rest of that. Um, Chris, it, it is really the spectrum because I will say. Uh, because I was a stand-up, I have pretty good visual memory, and as a result, I can pitch. This is why I want to tell the story. Here's a bunch of the really nice scenes that I like, and here's like the four or five facts that I think will be amusing. That goes to, kind of next down the scale is uh, Chris, who sort of works off of uh, you know a thorough pitch, pitch, uh, very sort of all the way through, and then Kirsch, who all joking aside, is magnificently thorough <laughs> in her pitches and. When you did the chess one, it was oh, we God, were like fifty. No, it was a great was pitch. Awful. We wound up using it, but we were like fifteen minutes into that pitch. We're like, wow, this we have fifteen minutes of incredibly entertaining chess information. I had no idea existed. I could have cut that down. To no, I'm no, working no, no, on no. it. I'm Becky, working on it. The lawyer in scene six. What kind of shoes are you wearing? Wingtips. Washington Brown wingtips. Yeah. So it really difference between showrunner pitch and staff writer pitch is often just experience and comfort. Well, this kind of goes along with that question. How does one give feedback to a pitch? 
Stony silence. That's <laughs> <laughs> the most terrifying. Like a soul crushing stony silence. How there quickly was, can they cry? There was very, actually a very Slow famous. I will not say her name. There is a famous CBS executive who uh, was infamously silent during pitches, especially and she was a she was a comedy executive. So you would go in there and you would pitch your heart out, the funniest thing you ever pitched. And she would just stare at you like she caught you breaking oh, into her kitchen at two o'clock in the morning. It was called. It you was were like playing handball against a wet blanket. Yes, yeah. Everyone had pitched to her, but then you'd walk out. I had an I had an act one time. We walked out, and he started crying because he no. thought he'd done the worst pitch in the world. And she was literally in the room going, "That was super funny. I think we should buy that." They bought the pitch in the room. Wow. Yeah. So she it's, sounds delightful. She was wow. super delightful. She's still out there. That's my hero. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, but it was just you know not a laugher. Uh, feedback to a pitch's enthusiasm. It's like I like that. I don't like this. Some, not every pitch works. Not every pitch is an episode. But you know something. Your peer brought something to the room that excited them. Mm-hmm. So. See if you can at least make it work. And something that you guys really push a lot, which I don't, from my inexperience, know if is really a part of every TV writer's room, is that the room is a safe place for us. We are there to support each other. We are there to help each other. We are there to encourage each other. We're not there to, you know, diss another person's pitch. We're not there to say that was terrible. We only want to be there in order to make this show the best that we can be. And because of that, you guys really encourage us to be supportive and to, you know, instead of saying that, you know, that something is wrong or something doesn't work, say, here are some possible fixes for it. Here are some possible additions to it. Well, we put more value on assist than points. Exactly. I mean, if someone comes up with a big solve for another person's script, that counts more in our book than... And and pitches tend to die kind of on their own. Like, if if you you can feel a pitch as the... When the room hears it, because the room is usually so enthusiastic, but pitches just kind of lay in there. It's not... We all hate this. It's like none of us can quite figure out how to make it work, right. and they, you know, very rarely do we have to go. We're not doing that one. You know, okay. you, yeah, you sort of do it in the room, and, and then everyone looks kind of looks at each other and goes, eh, "Not quite an episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not quite there." Some stories aren't episodes, mm-hmm. and Some, then there yeah. are the ones where people immediately start talking about it, immediately oh, yeah. start putting in input, and you can't get us to stop talking about it. Yeah, it's those are the ones where you know, okay, this is an episode. This yeah. is everyone is you know challenged by. This and sometimes one. those are treacherous bastards because you'll you'll get that and everyone's excited and it still takes you the damn year to yes. break it. That does yeah. not mean that it's easy. Good point. So Becky, your pitch gets greenlit. Now what? Well, I guess it um it kind of depends on where you come in with the pitch, how far you've developed it. So if we um sometimes various seasons we've we've either started the pitch from its very nascent form right in the room and we've all taken a crack at it mm-hmm. or sometimes now we'll go off and we'll say okay you know develop a little bit further come back and bring it in with some cards um so sometimes it's a solo process and sometimes it's involved in the room i think it's it's kind of different every time really depending yeah. on where we are in the season and what kind of urgency there is for this particular episode so there's you know for the like girls night and boys night girls night we broke up pretty thoroughly on the board and boys night I was like ah they'll be in a church and then I kind of stumbled back in the room and you know I have a good general idea what's going on here and then we basically pitched it out to the extent we needed the overlap right. um, and then we you know basically the the, uh, the speech outside the church was one long drunken bit um, right. when they argue about the boy scouts but that's the the, the, uh, the basement but that's that's it I mean it really does range from script to script writer mm-hmm. to writer okay. well this next question I'm really looking forward to which episode had the most changes from pitch to picture, and which had the least? Oof. Zanzibar, maybe. Zanzibar. Zanzibar, Zanzibar had a it lot had of changes. So it had many like incarnations. six incarnations. At I one point, it was Sterling. It was like Sterling's secret that we eventually did right? in Queen's Gambit with yes, Human exactly. Beach. Exactly. True. And that was two years right. ago. 
That was two years ago. It was originally ago. Sterling's Secret, uh, and it took place in a nameless Latin American country. Yes. Right. With a with a colorful, colorfully corrupt sheriff named El Jefe. Oh, El Jefe, God, yeah. Oh. Exactly. Yes, of course. Because yeah. El Jefe, we all but miss El Jefe. Remember, he, he was like so El corrupt. Jefe. He had a picture of both his wife and his mistress on his on his desk. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. yes, so it was what, a fantastic. But how did Zanzibar character. come in? Did it? I don't even remember how it started. Zanzibar started. Uh, it's very funny. Zanzibar started as we wanted to do a foreign country, and the Wonder Twins came in with the Venezuelan land oh, uh, distribution okay. scheme, which was a yeah. real news item that was going on at the time. Okay. Uh, and we wanted to do a we wanted to do a kidnapping and retrieval because right. we wanted to focus on Elliot. The fact Elliot used to not just grab stuff he would find people and mm -hmm. also take Nate out of play and see how the team functioned without Nate um, so uh, and, and ironically without Sophie that year because that was when Gina was pregnant that was so, season two yeah so um, that started in one version and then it, we couldn't shoot Venezuela and then Sterling we couldn't get for, for both scheduling I, and yeah. no then we wound up getting him but when it was originally slotted we couldn't get him right and then Dean didn't like the Venezuela thing. It was a little okay. too heady, so it became uh, sort of more, uh, much f more physical. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we had just a car exchange. We had like a complicated bit of car exchange with wire work uh, for the ransom gig. Oh, and Dean was, yes, and yeah. Dean said, yeah, we don't really, have we, haven't we done, and he was right, by the way, haven't we done a million SUVs facing off in warehouses and mm -hmm. kidnapping stories? Mm -hmm. uh, at which point, uh, this was literally one of the times where I got drunk in the office and came back down and went, all right, Here's how the elevators work. Remember, we spent a goddamn day on I those elevators. I was there. I think I was up in Portland. You were. You were, we were up in Portland. We broke Portland, that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, because we were doing. Um, we broke bottle job in the middle of that one. Yeah. Oh yes. My God, That's we right. Did. We started breaking wow. the final version of Zanzibar. Boylan came back with a. I have a bottle show. Mm -hmm. We broke that and wrote in that like in like thirty six hours. Yeah, in thirty six hours. And then as soon as that one was done, we flipped back to Zanzibar. So you were actually gone for two of those, even though you're only gone for one episode. Well, I was gone. I was there for for the breaking of the first uh, version. Of the, of of, no, no, but there for the breaking of Bottle Job, and then I left for Zanzibar. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. You flew up on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. That's because we did it on the Monday. Season. That was a crazy season. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's it, it. Is that level of chaos? Um, uh, the um, uh, three card money. We originally had a character story and no crime. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, what else? King George job had a different ending. I had to go find the thing about the the box, the icons. Right. The, the oh wow! Yeah, I didn't yeah. That, that was remember that was a knighthood, and it turned out knighthoods were just really easy, really easy to get. Uh, just stuff. It evolves, you know. Yeah. It, it, sometimes it changes for location. Um, you know, certainly we've had okay. We don't have that location. We have to use this location. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we just had a great location we really desperately need. A big part of last year's season finale came up because we scouted that dam and scenes that were not at that dam wound up at that dam because Dean, who was director, said, "Wow, great dam! How often do you get one of these? Gotta use it. Right. These don't rain out of the sky." <laughs> so you know uh, that the whole Bat Cave wound up just uh, being in the in the dam that was actually underwater, under under river level in in Portland. Well, I just want to remind our fans that all these episodes we just talked about, along with the rest of your favorites, can be downloaded on iTunes uh, with the season pass. So there's our commercial. Um, and kind of moving on, Becky, you touched on this earlier. Since writers aren't performers, is it often difficult to have to get up and pitch? And how much performance is involved? Is it like acting? You know, I think like Chris was saying, whatever it takes in order to get your listener 
as excited as you are about the story because clearly you saw something in it. Clearly you think it's worth fighting for that you're going to stand up in front of your peers and colleagues and bosses and say, I think that this story is worth my time. God, that's right. You're, you're bosses. You are. Yeah. I know we, we sometimes forget about far that. More but but she was working here before us. I Doesn't know, that mean that she was She has seniority, yet we leapfrog uh, her. She runs everything. Oh, it's, secretly it's the mafia. It's the mafia, you know. Um, but I think that, um, especially if you, you know, I think a lot of us bring in a lot of different stories each year, and you have to pick which ones are the best. And so by doing that, you're saying, like I was saying, this is something that's worth fighting for. And so being able to tell a story, being able to get people excited about it by whatever, you know, drops of research information or character moments, things that are that are grabbing enough to get your colleagues as excited about the story as you are, I think. Yeah. Sounds good. Also, you don't really have to stand up in front of the room usually. You kind of pitch from your chair. It's not quite oh, as, nice. yeah, it's yeah. not quite stand up. You know, Kirsch gets up because she has diagrams and photos and stuff. Uh, and sometimes people have, like, want to throw some cards up on the board just to remind themselves this is how I see the story mm -hmm. going, A to B to C. Uh, but it's it's not it's not as grueling as most people think it might be. There's no spotlight. No. Emotionally, yeah. yes, but no literal spotlight. Emotional spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of our fans are uh, going to be interested by this question. How do writing partnerships work in the room, and how do they differ from writing alone? Writing alone is like drinking alone. It's sad. <laughs> Why do you say it's sad? <laughs> I drink alone all the time. I am literally John, drinking in that room alone John, all not, the time. We're not judging. We're and not uh, judging. writing partnerships are like a broken marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so it's both sad in their own way. They're so, both sad in different ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, just well, the, the accumulated partners, but the accumulated no, baggage that writing partners bring—it's yeah. almost distracting from the content <laughs> of the pitch. Watching the way they interact yeah. and look at each other. One, one of my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah. If you've been a long-time uh, Leverage fan, you know the Wonder Twins, um, Melissa Dunn and Jessica Reader. Uh, were amongst our first writers and every now and then they would disagree on something in the pitch and you would see this kind of this sort of very married person thing of it was, can I talk to you in the kitchen <laughs> Uh, but I think that the room took whatever their partnership may have been and we accelerated it far like we, we, we the stories that we had about our, our various partners that we've had in the room have probably far exceeded whatever madness they actually had in their relationship. you know one thing I wish we had been able to do we had two sets of partners and I always wanted to do this was get the uh, home version of the newlywed game <laughs> and have them play the newlywed game ex and substitute the word whoopee for writing yeah where was the strangest place that. you made writing? <laughs> they hang it up. And wow. This would have been nice. really great. We we're never did that. Make, we're going to have to sell that now. The, uh, I know. That. We'll try it but, You know, we have a lot of ad hoc partnerships where we split up a, like two writers kind of dig it. You wrote with Veach last I year did, on yes. Queen's Cambit job. And so that then it comes down very much to the individual uh, style of the writers and, and how they wind up working. And we don't supervise that. When we put two writers together, it's like, all right, go make a script. Right. You know, and uh, and Chris and I wrote the pilot together, and that was very much like us kind of writing our own scenes because we had, right. we don't write together. We're not writing partners. Right. Uh, and then kind of looking at we broke you can the story see we're together. Barely on speaking terms. We barely, I can't even talk to him. Really. <laughs> Um, it's quite Becky theory. It's, she, she, it's just she's a buffer just, of her hatred. I'm just a pawn. Um, just a pawn. Yeah, and the, but and there's also stuff like uh, you know sometimes one person will do the rough draft, the other person will do the polish, and then mm -hmm. it bounces yeah. back. Uh, it really is and, and some people write really well together mm -hmm. uh, they're very natural partners and some people it's like alright we got that done but let's not do that again you know it's <laughs> it, it's no big deal it, it, writing is a very idiosyncratic art form so you know, not everyone's geared to do it with somebody else yeah well this last question is for all of you 
What advice do you wish a veteran writer had given you when you were first starting out? What, what piece of advice have I not given you over the, I, in my didactic drunken rants? I've been working with both of you for over five years now. I think that I've been lucky enough to have a lot of pieces of advice. I don't even know if I could sort through all of it. <laughs> yes, some of them were drunkenly given. Fine. Yes, fine. Uh, uh, anger is um, a luxury. Anger is a luxury. Wait, wait. Well, you can't tell that other no, part of the story. No, I can't do that. Can't do the other that one. was the a two-parter. Let's just move past it. No, it. anger is a luxury. That was yeah. a good one. I remember... Um, oh, jeez. You have the job. That's a good one. Yeah. That was a great, yeah. You think, good. all right, can you think? Because I got one. Yeah, I, got not, I, got I got one. Nothing. Go ahead. No, no, you go I'll ahead. do mine. Uh, don't say no to anything. And by that, I mean gigs. You know, when you're just starting out, uh, you, you know, your instinct is be choosy, do the thing, do the thing that's right for you. Don't say no. Just say yes. Well, uh, you yeah. never know what's going to pan out. Infamously, you almost didn't do the show. I. It's very, very much. We were having a beer, and I was working on something else when John presented me with this I, notion, this this kind of thing. To hey, we want to work on this pilot together, and I could have easily said, Nah, no, I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wouldn't be sitting here on this couch with you guys. Uh, the big thing. It's it's sort of a recent. A recent uh, distillation of an old piece of advice that I've occasionally given, which is um, every every criticism is the tragic result of an unmet need. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, you know? and it's really, every time somebody criticizes your work or criticizes the script, very few people want to be dicks. Like very few people just want to to ruin your or say bad things about your work. You know what that is. What that is is, and a lot of this comes from having directed now. What that is is, I wanted to feel something and I didn't feel something. And I wanted to, so why don't you make me feel this? And and usually the sad, th the wrong thing they do is they then pitch the solution. But often they are not writers, and so they pitch sort of like you know instead of telling. And I've I've gotten I've learned, uh, and again this is a lot from learning to direct from Dean and Mark Roskin in particular, yeah. and Jonathan Frakes is the thing of um, well what do you want to feel? Asking the question where is this note coming from? And they'll tell you, and you go oh I can give you that. Just okay. tell me what you were lacking there. Right. You know, everybody wants to be entertained. Everybody wants to have a good time at whatever movie or TV show they go to or they're watching, or even at their day at work. Mm -hmm. So you know, just just listen to them and and be responsive. Right, but you're saying listen to what's behind yes. the criticism. Right. There's something there's something behind it you can do without right. With yes, giving exactly. Them what they need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's really good advice. Because even even if the even if the note is something that you don't respect, the feeling is something that a viewer or person who is hearing your story punched out on. Well, I think that that advice will probably help out a lot of our fans out there. That don't do you don't have a, like, a little newbie advice? <laughs> no, no, no newbie right, advice. Fine. You want to give my my own advice from my own experience, or something I wish someone had told to me? You could give oh. advice from your experience. I have none of the latter. So our the, fans are listening. What I would say is, um, uh, always listen. Like just just be something about being in the room from from being an assistant all the way to now being a writer um i always i always have my ears open just to to soak in what is going on around me as far as not only the stories that are being broken and the way that people come in and pitch you know me wanting to, to grow up and be a big writer someday listening to how other writers come in and start their careers as well as you know office politics as well as what it's like to work in a, a writer's room which is such a kind of unique zone of uh it's just it's so different than any other job i can't even imagine we're, we're a think tank we literally sit here and we discuss mm -hmm. things with each other all day we the relationships that we have with each other are so unique um and i think that being among these people is listening is the thing that's been most important to me is is to just always be observing always be learning specifically well on that
that note, I think that's it for our From Pitch to Picture episode. Thanks so much to the three of you for being here. And once again, thank you to our fans for listening in. And don't forget, you can always get your leverage fixed by downloading all your favorite episodes on iTunes. Thanks again, grifters.